You are now listening to Theology Applied, a podcast of Eternal City Church, where theology walks the pavement. Welcome to another episode of Theology Applied, and we will be continuing in our study of the Ordo Salutis, or the Order of Salvation, and we'll be examining the call of God today, God's calling men and women to himself through the gospel, God's effectual and general call. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Theology Applied, and we are continuing in our study of soteriology, which is the study of salvation, and specifically, we're going through the Ordo Salutis, or the Order of Salvation. Let me remind you again, predestination, election, calling, regeneration, faith, repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification— Last time we did predestination and election, and today we'll be doing calling. Calling uh, is clearly in the Bible in many, many, many texts. We'll go through some of them. But Romans 8, 29 to 30 does have a bit of this ordo salutis or order of salvation. I'll read it. Romans 8, 29 to 30, Paul, writing to the church of Rome, says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so you see foreknowing or having a relationship beforehand, then predestination, and then you have calling. Now, knowing beforehand or foreknowing and predestination take place in eternity past, as we saw last time. Calling takes place in time and space. So this is a reality that every Christian experiences on some specific date on the calendar. This happens. And so we're talking about calling in two ways, effectual and general. So in two ways, there is the call of God. There's the general call that goes out to all people without hindrance, Uh, promiscuously, if you will, it goes out to anyone and to everyone. Then there's the the effectual call that comes through the general call by which God reaches in and pulls people to himself. That's an easy way to think about it. I appreciate Wayne Grudem. His systematic theology is fantastic. He says, this calling, effectual calling, is a kind of summons from the king of the universe. And it has such power that it brings about the response that it asks for in people's hearts. So you think about when an authoritative judge summons somebody to court. They may be able to run for a little bit, but eventually a warrant will be issued if they do not show up, and there will be authorities that are out looking for them depending on how severe the warrant is. And if they get caught even in a traffic violation, it comes up on the the radar that, This person has a warrant and they are are taken in and they are being summoned by a human authority, a judge that has the authority to issue a warrant. Now imagine the highest authority in the universe, God himself issuing a summons. You can't resist this summons. And so that's, if you will, effectual calling. We'll talk more about it in a minute, but first I want to talk about the general call. The way to think about a general call is if you've ever shared the good news of Jesus with someone, and you've asked them to respond, 
you've talked about the death, the burial, the resurrection, Jesus fulfilling the law as a substitute, rising from the dead because God was pleased with his, his life, death, burial. And so God raised him from the dead. And you can respond by turning from sin, turning to Jesus, asking for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And if they respond, they are born again. Or at least outwardly, we could say there's evidence that they are expressing faith and being born again. Time will tell. That comes later in the Ordo Salutis. But the general call is the telling of the gospel and asking people to respond. Now, we see this in Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Jesus tells a story or a parable about a wedding feast. And he has his servants go out and invite people in. That He calls people to come into the feast, the feast of salvation, if you will. And there's refusal, there's refusal, there's refusal. There's a, a non-response to the call. People refuse the call. And so he then sends people, he sends his servants out to anyone and everyone. Okay, and, and in the parable, it has to do with Jewish people rejecting their Messiah, Isaiah 53, the servant of the Lord who was promised to the Jewish people, the son of David, David's greater son. They're, they're rejecting Jesus' invitation to come to him and to come to the feast of God. And so, as a response, Jesus sends out his servants to call anyone and everyone, the Gentiles, if you will, the Greeks uh, in the first century, Gentiles. And so, what happens is, People do come. They come from all over um, the the world at that time. But yet there's someone who shows up at the wedding feast and he doesn't have the appropriate wedding uh, garments on. Okay? He doesn't have the right gift attire to wear. And so the host of the feast, who is Jesus, says, friend, how did you get in here without this you know, wedding dress on, without this outfit that is given to those who would be attending the feast. And he, he doesn't have anything to say. And so he orders his servants, take this man, remove him from the party, and throw him in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that's pretty harsh. It's a story, but it's a story of even there are some who make their way in and they look like they're a part of the call or the elect, but they're not. And they're just hiding out, if you will. And so they will be identified at some point and, and separated. This is the wheat and the chaff. This is the, the sheep from the goats. Uh, this is in scripture. But here's what's so interesting. Jesus wraps up this parable in Matthew twenty two fourteen by saying this. Many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew twenty two fourteen. Many are called, but few are chosen. So the idea here is, the gospel call, the invitation to come, come into the feast, come into the new heavens and the new earth, come to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the wedding supper of the Lamb, as it's called. People refuse. People refuse to turn from their sin and come to Jesus for forgiveness. And so he lets them. He lets them refuse. He lets them stiff arm him, if you will. But there are some who are effectually called, and those are the chosen. So many are called to come in generally. But few actually come, and the ones that do are the chosen. Effectual call. So here's Wayne Grudem again. He says, we may define effectual calling as the following. Effective calling is an act of God the Father speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel 
in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. We see this in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, um, he, he is speaking of Greeks that reject the gospel and Jews that reject the gospel. And he says, Jews demand signs. Jews, if you will, want the parting of the Red Sea. They want 40 years of manna to show up. They want the 10 plagues. They want the sun to stand still in the middle of the sky like when Joshua was warring. They want signs, power displays. Jews demand signs. Greeks or Gentiles, specifically Greeks, seek wisdom. You know, the Greek philosophers, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. uh, We want some esoteric deep knowledge. We want something to ponder and think about. We want a giant book. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, the gospel. We're not going to give you power, play, signs and wonders. We're not going to give you a bunch of deep, hidden mysteries and and secret knowledge. No, we're going to give you Christ crucified. And he says, this is a stumbling block, meaning it's something you trip over. Imagine a block in the path. You didn't see it. You tripped over it and you fell. A stumbling block to Jews, Christ crucified, and foolishness or folly to Gentiles or to Greeks. Because God become man, the ruler of the universe, humbling himself, able to be killed. That's ridiculous. That's folly. That's foolishness. Okay, so here's the deal, though. Think about this. 1 Corinthians 22, 23. You only have two categories of people. You have Jews and non-Jews who are Gentiles. And so if all the categories of people land in those two groups, who can then be saved? If Jews are stumbling over the cross, and if it's foolishness to Gentiles, who's left? Well, there is a third category, verse 24. But to those who are called, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so out of the Jews and Gentiles, there's this group called the called. It's the effectually called who do not stumble and who do not think it's foolish. And rather, they find what they're looking for amazingly. Christ becomes the power that they were seeking. And Christ becomes the wisdom that they were seeking amazingly. So even by accepting Jesus... Both the Jews and the Gentiles or the Greeks get what they were actually looking for because all things find their fulfillment in Christ. But I want you to notice that it's the calling that makes the difference, not the people group. Okay, let's move on uh, to effectual calling through gospel proclamation. In other words, when you share the gospel with somebody or when you give the gospel to somebody in a book or a track or... You know, someone hears a sermon or they click on a YouTube video and they hear the good news. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered unto you of first importance that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and he was witnessed by many, many witnesses, even 500 at one time. That's the gospel. And so when people hear that, and they're asked to respond, to turn from their sin, which we say is repentance, to repent from their sin, to turn from it, and to turn to Jesus for forgiveness and mercy and grace. 
That's the gospel. We're asking them to respond. And when God moves and they actually do respond, that's calling. Okay? So here's 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, says this. But we ought always to give thanks for you, brothers. So he's speaking about Christians. Beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits. You could also, um, some manuscripts have this, chose you from the beginning. First fruits, beginning, there's a similarity there. Let me read that again. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits, or chose you from the beginning, to be saved. So he chose you to be saved, but watch this. Through sanctification, by the Spirit, and belief in the truth, to this he called you through our gospel. Called you through our gospel. What did he call you to through the gospel? To be saved, to be sanctified, and to believe the truth. He called you to this. How? Through the gospel proclamation. So that, so this is what results in the calling, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what results eventually is being glorified or inheriting the new heavens and the new earth and new glorified body, the perishable inheriting the imperishable. Now, in John 6, Jesus is dealing with unbelief. If you remember the text, uh, he had just fed 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 15, 20,000 people. He goes across the lake to the other side, and the crowd who ate comes around the lake and meet him at the other side, and now it's morning and they want breakfast. And so they're saying, look, Moses did it for 40 years. You could do it two days in a row, right? Aren't you greater than Moses? And so they're saying, feed us again. And Jesus is not going to meet their demand. He says, look, you're, you're not here because you saw the sign that pointed to me and who I am and who I claim to be. You're not here because you saw the sign. You're here because you ate the loaves and the fish and were filled. In other words, you just want to eat. You just want your bodily appetites satisfied. And so he says, all right, you want to eat? You eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what? who is this man to give us his flesh and blood? And so they, they start freaking out and they begin to argue against him. And so there's unbelief, there's grumbling, there's who does this man think he is? And so John 6, is Jesus' response. And I love it. Here's what he says. No one can come to me. So no one can is an inability statement. You can't do this. You, as a human being, cannot breathe underwater for an hour. You can't do it. You, as a human being, as much as you think you can, cannot jump off of a 10-story skyscraper and fly. You can't do it without the aid of some kind of jetpack. And you can't do it. No one can come to me. That's what they can't do. No one can come to Jesus. And remember, in the context, he is responding to people's rejection of him and his words. No one can come to me unless, okay, here's a qualifier, unless something happens. What needs to happen? The Father who sent me draws them or draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. So this drawing results in the glorification that we saw in the Thessalonians verse, right? Listen, and I will raise him up on the last day, resurrection. Okay, so there's a people who reject and cannot come to Jesus unless something happens. Drawing in John 6, 44. Now, interestingly, 
This word is helkio, helkio in Greek. And it literally means to draw, haul, or drag. Draw, haul, or drag. And it shows up in the New Testament and other places. So we'll look in John 21, 6. This is Jesus resurrected. Uh, the disciples have gone out with the, you know, leadership of Peter to fish back to their old occupation. They're out fishing. They fished all night. They've caught nothing. They're frustrated. Resurrected Jesus shows up on the beach in the morning. It's probably like, you know, 5.30 a.m., 6 a.m. It's still foggy. It's still groggy out. And, and he says, have you caught anything? Nothing, nothing, right? So he says this to them. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they, and they didn't know it was Jesus at the time, whatever. So they did it. So they cast it in. And now they were unable to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So that haul word there is the same word in Greek as no one can come to me unless the Father sent me. Draws them. So you think about that act. It's a, it's a giant fishing net full of fish. And you literally have to, with strength and muscle, drag that thing onto the boat. And they're using strength and force and pulling and, and fish resist when you try to pull them in. If you've ever been fishing, whether they're on a line or on a net, they do not want to be caught. And so there, there's that sense there. There's another place in Acts 16, 19. This is Paul and Silas in Philippi. Okay. And, and they just, Paul just exercised a demon from a slave girl who was able to tell the future. So Paul and Silas are sharing the gospel and there's this slave girl who follows them around and, and says some true things about them, but she was not saying it to promote them and to promote their message, but rather to deceive in some way and to distract people from their message. Paul turns around and he, and he calls the demon out of her. Well, her owners now see that their ability to make a profit is gone. And so they grab Paul and they throw him into prison. Now listen to it. It's Acts 16, 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them, there's the word, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. They dragged them to the police. Okay? That same word draw, dragged or hauled. One more place. This is Paul also in Acts. He's made his way to Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 21. He's brought aid to the, to the poor in Jerusalem from the Gentile churches. And he goes to visit the temple after taking a vow. And what happens is that the crowd saw him with uh, a Gentile and they thought that he brought this Gentile into uh, the temple. His name was Trophimus the Ephesian. And so they saw him with Trophimus in the city and they imagined that he did something illegal according to Jewish law and brought him into the temple. So Acts 21.30, then all the city was stirred up. And the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. Okay, there, there's an angry crowd. They grab a hold of him and they pull him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. Okay, so there's, there's several places where this word is used in other contexts. And you can clearly see that this is a word that must have force applied to it. It's hauling a net in. It's dragging someone to the magistrates. It's dragging them out of the temple. And so to, to go back to John 6 now, remember, we were looking at John 6, 44. Just a short few verses later in John 6, 65, Jesus is responding to the unbelief of the crowd. He says, look, 
There are some of you who do not believe. This is the context. He's referring to Judas, and he's referring to the crowd at large. And so he says, John 6, 65. But there are some of you who do not believe. So context, unbelief. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. The one that would betray him is Judas. And he said, that was John 6, 44. This is 6, 64. This is 65 now. And he said, this is why I told you no one can come to me. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So this drawing and this granting is the call of God that comes through the gospel proclamation. Now, uh, we're almost done here. I want to look at this actually happening in Scripture so you can see it played out in a, a story fashion where Paul is in Philippi and he witnesses to a group of women who were Gentiles, but God-fearers, meaning they believed in Yahweh, but they were not Jewish. They were God-fearers. And so he finds them worshiping, and he goes and tells them the gospel. So this is Acts 16, 12 to 15. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gates, outside the gates to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together or together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So she's a worshiper of God. She's a Gentile. Um, she's dealing in wealthy fabrics, so she was probably wealthy herself. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, Luke, who wrote Acts, could have left that out. He didn't have to add, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to Paul. And so the Lord opens her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, verse 15, and after she was baptized, what does that mean? She believed, and the evidence was great enough for Paul to baptize her. Okay, so the opening of her heart, heart resulted in salvation, and it was evidence enough that Paul baptized her. After she was baptized, and her household as well, so we can assume that they also heard the gospel, the Lord opened their hearts, and they were also baptized. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed on us, the us being Paul and Silas. And so there you have it playing out in a, in a story or narrative form. Paul shares the gospel with Lydia, and as he's sharing with her, this drawling happens. And in Acts 16, it's, it's phrased this way, the Lord opened her heart. He opened her heart. Now, we've seen calling. We've seen the general call that goes out to all people. But through that general call, the Lord draws some in. It's effectual. It's powerful. They believe, in other words, and they are saved. So how do we apply this? Remember, this is called theology applied. And the idea is not just to flesh out big theological concepts, but rather bring them down to the street and help us to walk them out. Well, you can be sure that God is going to use your gospel proclamations to draw those whom he has, has chosen to himself. He will do this. And so we, our responsibility is simply to share the good news. 
to share it and to call for a response. If people reject our general call that goes out to anyone and everyone, all that simply means is spiritually, God is not effectually calling them yet. Perhaps he will call them later. Perhaps he will use the very gospel you gave them and he will cause it to dawn upon their memory and he will use the memory, the rethinking of it to then draw them. There are stories in church histories in history of that happening. Luke Short and John Flavel being one of them, if you want to look that one up. And so God will call effectually those whom he has chosen. And the good news is we get to be the agents. We get to be the ones that share the good news of Jesus. And God will use that sharing to draw or to call people to himself. Remember, Jews look for signs and power. Greeks look for wisdom or Gentiles. Folly, foolishness to Gentiles, a stumbling block to Jews. But to those who are the called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So let's not be afraid to share the gospel as God gives us opportunities. And then let's not freak out and be anxious whether we did it well enough, whether we were articulate enough or persuasive enough. Again, I'm not arguing against being articulate or being persuasive. I'm just saying it's not on us ultimately. It's on God who calls his elect to himself. So let's be confident in our sharing the gospel that God will do his work as we do ours. 